Amen. I'm so glad that you're here this morning worshiping God in victory. Let's give it up for the band. Didn't they do an awesome job, the worship team? So glad for their faithfulness and all that God is doing. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 3. Somebody say, he must become greater. I must become less. Thank you. We're going to be opening up to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is going to teach us today about God increasing in our lives as we decrease in the control of our lives. God has called us to be in this generation as John the Baptist. And I want to teach you about John the Baptist today. Go to the book of John, and that's coming from the gospel writer, John the Apostle. But he's going to teach us now about John the Baptist. In John chapter 3, verse 22, this is directly after Jesus' time with Nicodemus. We hear that after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. So after he got done teaching... Uh, Nicodemus about being born again, and we know that famous scripture of John 3.16, Jesus keeps on doing ministry and he's baptizing. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. So Jesus is baptizing, preaching the gospel, and so is John. They're both doing the work of the ministry. Verse 24, this was before John was put in prison. So we know at some point that John is eventually going to go to prison and be beheaded, giving his life for the gospel. Verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. So there's an argument now that starts between a Jew and John's disciples. But look at verse 26 and see how it escalates. They came to John and said to him, now it's not just a certain Jew, but quite a few of them, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So let's pause here in the story. Both Jesus and John are doing ministry. Both of them are baptizing. And then John the Baptist has some haters. And they want to start a debate with him about extra biblical teachings that they kept about ceremonial washing. And John the Baptist, like Jesus, is not doing those ceremonial washings. They are not participating in their extra biblical uh, traditions. We don't know how the argument goes, but now after they see the argument doesn't really stop him or discourage him, him, they then say, well, hey, this person you had talked about, this person is now baptizing more people than you. Everybody's going to him. So here we see a tactic of the enemy. If he can't discourage us through religious debates, he'll try to get us to be divided against each other. Do you see that in the text there? It starts off with religious debate. Well, why don't you wear uh, suits on Sunday? I don't wear suits on Sunday because I get hot when I preach. That's why I don't wear suits on Sunday. Why don't you wear suits on Sunday afternoon after you get done from church? You know, Because you get hot. That's why you don't wear them. Well, I don't wear it up here because I get hot. 
If you like wearing suits, then go wear a suit. But we don't need to sit here and argue about whether or not I can wear suits or shorts or whatever. And if these legs make you stumble, you need deliverance. Are you listening? Male or female, if my, if my legs make you stumble and you need to, I need to cover it up, we're going to pray deliverance for you to get set free. Amen. Because if you stumble in here, I have no idea how you're making it down the road, okay? How you even go to Humble Park. I don't know. So this religious debate is an old tactic of the devil. It's not that religious discussions or debates are necessarily wrong in and of themselves. We are to have debate and discussion over the truth of God. The Bible says Jesus did it. The apostles did it. But the motive behind the debate should not be to win an argument but to win a soul. Because you can win an argument and lose a soul. You can be a jerk about what you're saying, and you can be right about what you're saying, be a jerk at the same time. And so we see that this tactic of the enemy, it's always the same. Get religious people fighting amongst themselves. And then if we can't get them to fight amongst themselves, demons, the demons try to now get you to be jealous of each other. And now we see this today even in our world. They, they want us to divide and to argue and to debate over things that are not necessary for the gospel. There are things that we should debate over, you know, the triune nature of God. We need to stick with that, that God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to stick with that. There's only one way of salvation. That's through Jesus. That faith alone is what saves us, not good works. Okay, we need to stick with that. But we ought not to be debating with each other right now when we need to be facing the enemy of the devil and bringing the gospel to this culture. And then, like I said, if we they can't get us to debate religiously, then they want us to be jealous over each other. Well, look at John MacArthur. He's opened up his his church and look at how he's on the news. You're not on the news. Or, you know, this group over here, they're doing worship nights, you know, outdoors. And you, you know, you don't do that. You need to start doing that. And we need to feel like, uh, you know, the devil wants us to feel like if we're not doing everything, then we're not doing anything. And I've always taught here in this church, you may not be able to do everything, but you can do something for God. And that's the way we need to be in the kingdom of God. It's not jealous or against each other, but for each other. But I would say that there are some lines like, that need to be drawn. Both Jesus and John were winning souls and making disciples. So if the church building's not open yet, willing, winning souls and making disciples, they need to hand over the keys to those who are. Amen. And if they've been a word of faith preacher and they don't have enough faith to come meet with you, then they need to give back the money, the seed that you've sown into them. Are you listening? So we're not talking about them using that as an excuse going like, well, I'm doing my thing online and you guys doing your thing on the front lines. No, 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 no. You need to get on the front line too and still be online, okay? Yeah, we're we going to be on the front line and online, amen? So, you know, th there are some ground rules to being radical for Jesus. Like, you have to get out and preach the gospel. And there may be some suffering along the way. Some people may get sick. We've never been able to promise you that you, that, that won't happen. And you might have to quarantine for a while. Okay, that's great. We'll be back here when you get back, Amen. We're going to keep on preaching because we don't trust them with the authority to shut down the church anymore. Because when we, we trusted them, they, didn't, they said we couldn't open it anymore. And we're like, no, we're going to handle it ourselves. We understand when we're sick, we're going to stay home. And there's people with preconditions or want to wear masks and be separated. There's still space in this church to do that. Or you can stay home online while we keep having church. Are you guys listening to me? Now, now here's the deal.
deal. John the Baptist was like Jesus doing ministry, but they wanted them to be divided. I'm not divided against anybody who's doing ministry like Jesus today. So you don't even have to ask me, how do I feel about this one, that one, or this one, or that one? If you do ask me, we're hanging out. I'm not going to be upset, but I'm just telling you right now, are they about Jesus? Are they about preaching the gospel? Are they out there making disciples? Are they changing the world for Jesus? Then I'm supporting them, right? I am with what they're doing. And so this week, Sean Fiette, he's been a popular worship leader. He's coming to Washington Park uh, September 16th, you know, which I believe is Wednesday. TJ, would you raise your hand if you want more information? We've got a group going out there. We're going out this Monday with the gospel truck downtown. These are the kinds of things that we're going to always be doing. We're going to be partnering with people. We're going to be doing what God called us to do. So we're not against anybody that's doing what God wants them to do. Are you guys listening? So when the, the enemy, he can't get in through religious debate, he's going to try to discourage you by what others are doing. But I love what John the Baptist says. Look at verse 27. Then John said, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. And this is the reason why we can't be jealous of each other who is doing the right things. Those of us who are doing the right things, we shouldn't be jealous. I mean, I'm happy that we've opened up and we've had a few hundred people come through here. But maybe somebody else has opened up and they've had a few thousand. I'm not to be jealous of that person because I can only receive what heaven gives me. And it might be the same thing in your life group. You might be doing a life group right now and only a few people are coming. And there's another life group in the church and they have 20 or 30 people are coming. You and I are not supposed to compete with each other like that. We are to trust that what God has for us, he's going to give to us. But what we need to do is make sure we're receiving what heaven has for us. Because I don't want to be like the person who went up to heaven and God showed him this room and all the miracles that were in there and all the salvations that were in there. And then he asked God, what's up with this room? And he says, those are the things I wanted to give you on earth uh, from heaven, but you never asked for them. You had not because you asked not. I don't want to miss out on what God has for me. But if this is what God has for me, I'm going to be honest, if this is what God has for me today, this Sunday, then I need to be thankful. There's some empty seats. We're going to fill them up in Jesus' name. But I can't, as a pastor, act like God owes me something because maybe there's a church down the road that doesn't have any empty seats. Everybody's full. I can't say, well, God, I'm only going to serve you if you do for me like you've done for somebody else. You can't compare your blessings to other people's blessings. John the Baptist was not jealous that Jesus had more than him, and it didn't even count that it was Jesus because obviously Jesus should have more. But even if it was just another prophet, John the Baptist's principle, is the principle we all need to live by, which is we can only receive what God has for us. And some people, man, they just want to get to heaven. They just want to get to heaven. Heaven wants to come to earth, y'all. Heaven wants to come to earth. Some people say, I just want to die and go to heaven. Those who are in heaven right now are asking Jesus, let me come back. Let me come back. Let me preach again. Let me win souls again. Let me see people get healed again. So you and I should have a goal as long as we're on earth is to empty heaven and bring it down. Praying the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Come on, somebody say kingdom come. Come on, say it again. Kingdom come. Amen. Say will be done. Amen. Right here. Say right here. Amen, as it is in heaven. That needs to be our prayer. So John the Baptist, he tells these haters, he says, you know what? This is the principle I live by. I can only receive what heaven has for me. 
He's not going to be greedy. He's not going to get out there and try to take things that don't belong to him out of his greed. He's only going to do what God has for his need. And that's why he's not going to be jealous of anybody. And then in verse 28, he said, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. Does everybody get this? He says, I am not. Somebody say, I am not. Say, but he is. See, he knew who he wasn't, and he knew who Jesus was. He knew who he wasn't. Like, he was weak, but God was strong. He, he was broke, but God was blessed and rich. He was sick, but Jesus was a healer. He understood, I am a voice in the wilderness, but he is the Messiah, a key to the success that we need to have in ministry and what God has called us to do in these end times is to know who we are not and know who he is. I am a sinner. He is perfect. He's a savior. Amen. I'm jacked up. I'm ratchet, but he's righteous. Now, the beauty of it is when you learn from the gospels what Jesus does for us and then go into the epistles, we then learn that because of his work in him, we now can be like him. So because Jesus is perfect, I can be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. Because Jesus is powerful, he can give me some power. Because Jesus is loving, I can be loving. But without Jesus, I am a big I'm not. I'm the big I'm not, and he is the great I am. When you come into Christ, you become like him. You never become the great I am, but you get to become like him. How many are happy with that? Amen. I don't have to be God, but if I can be like God, wow, that is amazing. What a promise that it says in the scriptures that we partake of the divine nature. You know, some people want to walk around like they're gods and different things. One guy has a radio show. He calls himself Charlemagne the God. I'll never call him that. You're Charlemagne the false god. That's what you are. You're a false god. But you know what? We can be godly. We can be godlike. So he says, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. And I just want to ask anybody here today, do you believe you're sent ahead of Jesus in his second coming? Just like John the Baptist was sent ahead of Jesus in his first coming. Does anybody believe he's coming back again and he has sent you to get people ready? How many here now want to be like John the Baptist and say, hey, I know I'm not him, but I'm here sent ahead of him. I'm getting a miracle ready for Jesus. I'm not Jesus, but I'm going to tell the world about Jesus. I'm not the Messiah, but I'm going to get you ready to meet the Messiah. I'm not the way maker, but I'm getting ready for the way maker to come. And that's the great privilege that we have in this generation and why we can apply the things of John the Baptist to us and say as John the Baptist was for the first coming, we can say we are for the second coming. I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, talking about the church, and that's what we are. We are the bride of Christ. The bridegroom is Jesus. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bride groom's voice. In this illustration, we are both the bride and the friend of the bridegroom. I know there's probably some ladies in here that have been married. You can relate to this. You not only were the one who got married, but you got the wedding put together. You put the work into your own wedding. How many ladies can relate to that? You had to be your own wedding planner. And this is where the Bible says, we're going to marry him. We're preparing for that day when he comes and we get that special privilege. But at the same time, we we are the bride of Christ. We will marry him. We're preparing for the marriage, but we are going to marry him. So I don't just see myself as a friend of the bridegroom. I also 
see myself as a bride. But what John understood is that he had a role to play. Before the wedding came, before all of the fun and the festivities came, he had to be ready to hear what the bridegroom was saying to prepare for him. Just like the Bible says that there's a a parable of the virgins. There's the ten foolish and the ten wise. How many want to be like the ten wise virgins who had their lamps burning, who were ready to welcome in the bridegroom? And when they hear his voice, they are full of joy. How many today are hearing the voice of God and you are full of joy? You are in the church. You're hearing his word preached. You're hearing the Holy Spirit speak to you and you're full of joy. That's what it's like to live for God. That's what it's like to live for Jesus. You are in a place of relationship to where you can hear his voice and his voice is what brings you joy. You might listen to the voice of the news and get scared. You might listen to your friend and want to slap somebody. You might listen to the voice of your enemy and, man, have to pray for, you know, love to forgive them and all of that. But you should be able to hear the voice of God and get happy and the joy that he gives you from his voice. Nobody can take away this joy that I have. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. Come on, because it's between me and him. I wake up in the morning here is voice, he gives me joy. I go throughout my day, I hear his voice, he gives me joy. When I lay my head down at night and nobody else is around, I want to hear the voice of my bridegroom talking to me as his beloved, hallelujah, receiving joy for all that I have to go through the next day. In the morning, in the noontime, when we lay our heads down at night, we should be full of joy because he walks with me. He talks with me. My shepherd is a good shepherd. I can hear his voice. I'm one of his sheep. John the Baptist said, I hear his voice, and it brings me joy. In this end times, as we're being like John the Baptist, waiting for the bridegroom to come, we need to be encouraged by his voice. We need to take time to hear his voice. We have to pray. We have to make time to read his scriptures. Go out to the Bible studies. There's one that's meeting today if you want to go to a Bible study. And make time to hear his voice as it's spoken through his word, as it's spoken through the Holy Spirit, as it speaks directly to us. John the Baptist said, that joy is mine. Somebody say, that joy is mine. Come on, say it like you mean it. That joy. Come on, this is not any old kind of joy. It's that joy. Somebody say, that joy is mine in Jesus' name. It's mine. Everything I have is given to me from the Father in heaven. I'm not leaving any behind. I'm taking all the joy, all the peace, all the happiness, all the self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit is mine and is now complete. I'm not lacking anything. I'm not lacking any love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Hallelujah, it belongs to me. He says, that joy is mine. It's now complete, and here it is. He must become greater, and I must become less. As the old version said, he must increase, and I must what? Decrease. See, this is why people don't get it right now. They're holding on to too many things, and God says, for me to increase in your life, you've got to decrease in that part of your life. But people want to hold on to these things, and God says, you've got to let it go for me to have my way in your life. As the old timer says, let go and let God. You want God to increase in your job and how you look 
look at your career and your finances, you've got to decrease your will and increase his will on the job and what's your purpose there. You want to see God increase in your family, in your marriage, with your children, in your home, around the dinner table. You want to see the presence of God increase. You've got to decrease your ideas, your ways of doing things, and let God take over. God, I want you to be all in all. Be my all in all. All for me, all, all of me for all of God. That's what John the Baptist was saying. So to put it all together here, John the Baptist was doing the work of the Lord. People started to mess with him saying, hey, aren't you jealous of what's going on over here? And he began to teach the principles that we should live by, which is number one, I can only receive what God has to give me. If I try to go and get it another way, I'm going to ruin my life. Some of you are meant to be single for a reason and a season. If you try to get a spouse that heaven doesn't have for you, it's not going to go well for you. And if you're in that situation right now, you can say amen too. But don't get out. Let God work a miracle in that situation. Same thing with, with our careers. You know, oftentimes we pick it based on our job and our income, and then we get discouraged over time because we don't feel like we're living out our purpose. We have to receive what God has for us from heaven. It may not make as much money, but you might have the purpose that God has for you being at that place. And in other places, you may be so blessed. That's amazing that you get to do both. But we should never determine whether or not we're in the will of God based on external blessings. External blessings come and go. You guys have been there long enough to know that. I've been around long enough. We can't, we can't find purpose just in a job because it pays us well. There's people committing suicide that got better jobs than you right now. But you whistling while you work. Why is that? Because you love what you do. And God wants you to love what you do because he's given that to you from heaven to do. Whether it's sanitation, whether it's a lawyer, it doesn't matter. If God has placed you there and he's given you a part of your purpose there, you're doing that as unto him and you're finding joy in it. John the Baptist teaches us that we have to be content with what God gives us. Paul taught us that as well. He said, I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to have a little. And, of course, I, I, if you would ask Paul, what would you rather have, little or a lot? He would probably say, I would rather have, you know, too much pizza around than not enough pizza to eat, you know, so I can give some away and I can have enough to share. But here's the thing he said, but in every situation, I've learned the secret, and the secret is being content, finding God in what you're doing, and having God be your all in all. And today in these end times, I feel like if we don't concentrate on that, we're going to be deceived. Because why do people take the mark of the beast? As the Bible says in the book of Revelation, and it's still there, I believe it. How many believe the book of Revelation? I believe it. It's, it's still there, and the world is going to amp up more and more for that. And why are people going to take that mark? Because they want to receive something. They want to receive something. And if you're still here while the mark is being dealt out, you better not receive it. You better have Jesus and figure out another way to get food and another way to work because if you're here, which I believe is for those who were not raptured, so you are left behind because God, I believe, is going to rapture his church. That's what we are waiting on right now, and I believe God's going to do it be before, before the Antichrist makes the mark of the beast. Some people think we'll go through it. If I go through it, I'm going to be ready either way. Can I get an amen? But I do want Jesus to rescue me out of here, and y'all deal with the crazy now. Y'all deal with him. I'm going up to heaven to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm going to be eating everything up there. Just, mm, just like how you know you can go to, uh, what do they call that? Um, well, no, no, that old country buffet, but that place where they do the nights and the fighting and all of that. 
Medieval times, yes, sir, just like that. During the supper of the Lamb, it's going to be like medieval times. I'm going to be eating, mm, this is so good, while fire's dropping on over there, pestilence and disease, all the crazy stuff going on. Mm, this is so good, Jesus. Pass me some more, please. We toasting each other. Cheers. You know what I'm talking about if you've been to a place like that. That's what it's going to be like, seriously, because it says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm more than a conqueror. I don't even got to fight this thing, but I receive the conqueror's reward. Amen. Like how they're done. They put a little crown on your head over there for the kids. They're going to put a crown on my head all because of what Jesus did. Amen. And I'm going to crown him with those many crowns in Jesus' name. When we look to this, we need to be reminded, though, that if we're not careful, we're going to put on heaven what is of of the world because people will use wisdom to even receive the mark of the beast. Oh, well, we need to be wise and we shouldn't be, you know, really involved in politics. And the Antichrist is really a nice person. They're helping out a lot of homeless people, you know, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And we'll be deceived if we're not understanding that we only receive what comes from heaven. What God has for me, that's what I want. And if there is temporary suffering, even now before the mark of the beast, and it's not, it's not heaven, but I, but I suffer because I don't receive that, then I would rather suffer. Are you guys listening to me? we got to be honest with ourselves. You may suffer living for Jesus because heaven does not have a way out of the suffering. You're going to go through the suffering. And you might think, well, I'm going to receive this or this, and, you know, and I'm going to try to get along with this just so I don't have to go through the suffering. But you are going to find out that does not go well with your soul. If living for Jesus is wrong by the world standard, I don't want to be right. And if the crowd is against me and Jesus is for me, that's enough for me. And so the other people who have gone before us, they can say amen to that. And even some of us now, we're suffering like we used to look up to other people suffering. We are now a persecuted people in a lot of ways. And I still wear these bracelets, and I'll give them out to you for free to remember the underground church and those where it's illegal and they're dying for Christ. But how many have tasted a little bit of that just in this season? People thought you were crazy because you wanted to go to church or because you wanted to go preach while they were rioting. They said the rioting was acceptable, but the preaching wasn't. You know, seriously, I still have a disorderly conduct ticket, two of them for having church during the time, you know, of the riots and all that. They gave me the ticket, and most of those people never even got a ticket. I still have to go before a judge on disturbing the peace as a pastor. Isn't that crazy? That's the world that we live in. The Bible says that we should get content with receiving from heaven. So if God wants you single right now, it's not time to mingle, I'm content with that, Lord. Yes, I'll receive my spouse when it comes from heaven. Okay, God, you want me to work this job and do it this way? I'm going to do that job this way. Okay, God, you want me to do this job this way? I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to receive it from heaven. So if they look at you and they're like, we blessed you because we gave you that paycheck. No, you're going to say, you might have put a paycheck in my hand, but God gave me the breath to live and the feet to stand on and the ability to work. So you might have been a vessel that God used, but you are not the source of my blessing. And if God's done with you being a vessel in my life, he'll bring another vessel in my life because the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no trouble to it. And you're not my blessing in Jesus' name. My blessing comes from Jesus and he'll use a donkey to bring that blessing right over here if he wants to. So God will use the King James language. You know what I'm, Jack, you know, God will use that to bless me if he has to. He will use a donkey. Come on, somebody. 
I'm not going to get King James on you and, think, and make you think I cussed, but the old preachers would. Because if God has to use a donkey to bless me, he will. He will. He will send whatever. He'll use a sparrow or a, a raven. He will use whatever that he wants to bless me. And if there's nobody around, he'll send it from the sky like he did during the time of the Israelites. Or he'll have it come up. Or you'll find it in a fish. Praise God. God will always make a way for his people, will he not? I still hear testimonies about extra money in the bank that wasn't deposited, money in the shoe that they can't remember ever putting there, groceries in front of their house, and they don't know who brought it. God is a good God. Amen? And then the next thing, just in review, as we get ready to pray this out today, is that we have to be ready for the bridegroom and let people come in and out of our lives if they don't want the bridegroom. John the Baptist had to come to that realization that, you know what, I want the bride, and I'm going to prepare people for the bride. But if these folks out here don't want the bride, I'm not going to let that discourage me. It's not like when the bus driver sees people get off the bus, he starts crying and stops the bus and goes, oh, I can't drive this bus anymore. Everybody getting off the bus. No, part of being a bus driver is people get on the bus and they get off the bus. You can't stop living for Jesus because maybe your best friend stopped living for Jesus or they're confused during this time. Oh, I can't come to church anymore. My friend who brought me to that church doesn't come to that church anymore. No, you're the bus driver. You're the train conductor. Choo-choo. Whether they get on or they get off, you've got a destination. You've got somewhere to go. Amen? You are there for the bridegroom. You are not there for your best friend. You're not there for anybody else. I'm not even here for my wife. If she don't want to come to church, I'm coming to church in Jesus' name. Now, I know my family should be in order, and of course I'm going to keep my family in order, but, but there is nobody that should manipulate your love for God. John the Baptist said, I understand how this works. I'm only receiving what heaven gives me, and the bride belongs to the bridegroom. And if I get to be a friend of the bridegroom and help on this, then what a privilege and honor that is. If I get to be a part of your testimony, maybe you're here because you came as a result of the preaching here or someone else won you to the Lord on an outreach or handed you a flyer or a parent raised you up in the things of God. What a privilege that they got to have, that we get to have as friends of Jesus. But at the end of the day, we're not here for anybody else other than Jesus. And so that's where we have to learn in our hearts, like, what is this worth to us? You know, being with Jesus is worth everything to me. Whether or not I get paid to be a pastor or whether or not I have a congregation or if I have to start over again somewhere or if I have to suffer for Jesus or be put into jail and lose property. How many have read stories about Christians losing property? Whether it's from the Bible or from our modern times, they take your property because you're a Christian. But I'm here for Jesus. You can't take Jesus away from me. Jesus is right here in my heart. The Bible says, don't fear those who can only kill the body but can't kill the soul. Fear the one who can do both. And so I fear my God. I know who created me. I didn't come from nothing exploding a long time ago, from the goo through the zoo to you, as you've heard me say before. I came here by God's purpose and design. He picked out the exact times that you and I would live. He numbered the hairs on our head. He knows about us. He cares about us. And so we ought not to be discouraged as people come and go. And then lastly, this idea of him becoming greater and us becoming less. It's not having a low self-esteem. We're not supposed to hang our head down and go, oh, you know, I'm just so miserable. I'm just worthless. But thank God he loves me. 
No, we're supposed to decrease all of our stinking thinking and put our mind on Christ and increase in how he thinks about us. Jesus says, I'm the head and not the tail, so I'm going to increase in that and decrease on the days I feel like I'm worthless. Do you get it? I'm going to increase and believe that I'm more than a conqueror and decrease the belief that the devil's beating me up all the time. I'm going to increase in the belief that he'll never leave me or forsake me, and I'm going to decrease thinking that I'm alone and that nobody's with me anymore. No, Jesus is with me and all the hosts of heaven. Amen. And if God be for me, who can be against me? So this idea of letting Christ increase is letting Christ have all of our hearts, all of our thoughts, all of our ambitions. They belong to him. And so often, once again, just like people not being content with what heaven gives them, people a lot of times, and even in the church, aren't content with decreasing because they don't trust Jesus to increase. They don't. They don't trust God. They say they love God. They serve God. They use their words to worship him, but they really don't want to follow him, take up their cross and deny themselves. When you're a Christian, you trust God, even when it doesn't look like it's working out for you. Even as we've opened up this church and have gone through different seasons with people coming and going and facing COVID and facing BLM and facing uh, our, our enemies and frenemies and those who, you know, who don't like us in the media or whatever, we have to trust God that he's got a way that's going to increase us while we're de- de- decreasing our plan. As I've said before, so often we want God's plan for our life to be like a ladder of success, just stepping up. Every step is just a step next level, next level, next level, next level. But that's not how God always brings us to the next level, is it? Oftentimes it's like connect the dots. You start over here, and then you go back over here, and then you go over here, and then you go back over here. And then sometimes you just go back and forth, back and forth, and you think you're going crazy, right? But you take a look back, and when you were going back and forth, back and forth, you were making grass for a pretty flower to grow out. Because it was a connect the dots thing. It wasn't a step one, step two, step three, the way you think. So you're allowing God to decrease your ways, decrease your agenda, decrease your calendar. And you're saying, increase your plan for my life, God. Increase your thoughts for me. Increase how it's going to look your way. Because God said, oh, yeah, we're going to get 100,000. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, we're going to be like Joe Lostein times three. And God might be saying, no, your 100,000, Joe, is going to look like it does in the underground church of China right now. There's tens of millions of believers, and some of them are sectioned off into over 100,000. But they're all underground, and they only communicate with the leader over them. So nobody knows two leaders down. You only know your leader. That's why they always try to keep uh, their records of who those leaders are secret because they always want to find those people and put them in jail. But there are some people in the house church movement, they say some of them are young females, just young adult ladies that have over 100,000 in their network. And I'm not talking like followers on Instagram. They just come to check out what they're wearing or whatever. No, we're talking like people are following them as they're following the word of God and they trust them. So, you know, yeah, 100,000, let's go for it. But what if it looks like that? Would you still be a part of it? See, he's got to increase. You and I have got to decrease. God says, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to give you a great idea. You're going to be an entrepreneur. Okay, God, I want to do that. But first, I'm going to have your boss fire you because you're, you know, you're not going with the LGBT community. 
And you're not even there trying to preach. You're, you're there doing your job. But because you refuse to wear the LGBTQ button, now they're going to fire you. And then God says, now out of that, I'm going to give you the entrepreneurship. But you were like, man, I wanted to go from here to the entrepreneurship. And God's like, no, I'm going to get you fired first because you're being fired is going to be a testimony. You know, you're going to tell them, look, I love, I love everybody. I love them. I pray for them. But look, I can't support a sinful lifestyle. Just like I couldn't put on a badge that said I support liars. I can't put on a badge that says I support that. Okay, you're fired then. All right, well, listen, you were only a vessel. God is still my provider. He's going to provide for me. So then we trust him because he's Jehovah Jireh, right? The same thing like we're saying, uh, you know, sometimes we feel alone. And God says, I'm going to bring you a lot of friends. I'm going to bring you a lot of friends. But first, you got to lose all these other friends that make you feel alone all the time. And then you got to go through all of their hate. And why aren't you hanging out with us? And why don't you do what we do anymore? But God said, I had to bring you away from them to bring you into another crowd. Because you've been wanting to hang out with lions, but you smell and look like a hyena. So I got, got, I got to get you away from that hyena stench and the hyena people. I got to put you alone for a little bit and then bring you around some lions. But we're always, we're always quick to doubt God because it didn't happen our way. Because it didn't make me greater. It didn't make us look greater. No, because God's getting the glory when we become less. When John the Baptist became less, John the Baptist became great in the kingdom of God. As the Bible says, when we go down, that's when we're lifted up. When we're last, that's when we become first. And so when John the Baptist says, no, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, by the time of, the, of John the Baptist's end of his life, Jesus said, born among women, there's nobody greater than John the Baptist. Nobody greater. But how did he become great? By exalting his own ministry, handing out, you know, flyers that said, prophet John the Baptist is coming to town. You know, no, he became great by becoming less and letting God be great in him. Can I get Vinny to come back, please, in closing? How many are glad you came to church today? Amen. My encouragement for us today is that we become the John the Baptists for the second coming. Think about it. If they miss the first coming, can't we miss the second coming? We can, and sadly, a lot of people are. They're not ready. And so God wants to use John the Baptist's to get people ready for that coming. In the first coming, the people thought that Jesus was going to come and conquer the world and be a conquering king. And so when he didn't do it their way, they missed it and said, well, then, you know, you must not really be the king of kings and lord of lords, so we're going to mock you, we're going to crucify you, put a, you know, a banner over you or, you know, something that says the king of kings, but we don't mean it. King of the Jews, and then we're going to see and prove and have you prove it. And they missed Jesus. They crucified him. Instead of accepting him, they missed him. And I feel like we're doing the same thing in this generation. We're saying, well, if Jesus really was going to come back, and if it was going to be, you know, plagues and pestilences and wars and rumors of wars, it's going to look like something from, you know, Marvel Comics or, you know, Thor. It's going to look like spaceships and all of this crazy stuff nation rising up against nation and wars and pestilence. It, it can't be COVID. It can't be BLM. It can't be all this other stuff I'm seeing. No, it's got to look more like this and people are missing it. I'm, I have literally talked to pastors and had to explain to them the end times again because they do not think they are there. And I am like, man, how much closer to the Antichrist do you think we need to get? Right now they're telling you without a mask, you can't buy or sell. 
What are you going to do when they make you put your vaccines on a chip? And if you don't have a chip to verify your vaccine, you can't buy or sell. Like, man, we are minutes away from that. Minutes. And it's all in a good motive, right? We're doing this for your safety. We're doing this for you. Do you think, come on, the Antichrist is going to look like a villain from Marvel Comics? The Bible literally says he's the man of peace. Everybody likes him. Seriously, when I, when I talk about the Antichrist and the false prophet, people think I'm talking about like Hitler and David Koresh. No, I'm talking seriously about like Obama and Oprah. Like that's the personality. That's the way it's going to look. We need to pray for their salvation because I don't believe they're the Antichrist or the false prophet. But just get it in your mind. That's the way it's going to look. It's, it's going to look like Ellen. Right? It's going to look like Ellen, but then behind the scenes, it's going to be wicked and evil. That's now we're seeing Ellen getting exposed. But it's going to look like it's peace, peace. Don't listen to John the Baptist. I mean, think about it, first coming. The Jews are like, listen, don't listen. Look, look, listen to us. Don't listen to him. He's wearing sackcloth and ashes, or he's wearing stuff that smells like, you know, honey and locusts. What is, man, this guy's crazy. Listen to us. We know how to bring the kingdom of God here. See, we're, we're in a relationship with the Roman government. We're rich. Look at how well things are going for us and how bad it's going for John. Don't listen to John. And Jesus is literally going, John's my guy, but you rejected him. That's why you're rejecting me. People think they're going to be so ready for the second coming. They're not. Jesus said it will be just like it was in the days of Noah. People were eating and drinking and getting married. Like, hey, are you coming to my wedding? Yeah, I'll be at your wedding. And, and, and you know, as they're passing by, they're looking at this big thing called an ark. Well, what's that? Oh, don't worry about that. My, my friend over here, he's crazy. He's building an ark. Something about God told him a flood is coming. What's a flood? I don't know. I don't even know what that is. But, but he said it's coming. And, you know, he, he's friends with my dad, too, and my granddad. He's been doing that for a long time. Don't pay any attention to him. Let's go get married. The Bible says that's exactly what the people will be like. They will think that life is just going to continue on, that these are just little speed bumps, just speed bumps to our happiness. Boom, the rapture is going to happen. And we're going to be gone. The time of tribulation will start. And you think, read the book of Revelation. This is why I tell people, if you think our book is a mythological book. You have not really read it. It is the opposite of myth. Seriously. It does not go along the pathways of, of mythological storytelling. It's exactly the opposite. Because you would think, I mean, let's just be honest. If I was telling you a myth that, that God split a Red Sea in front of a pharaoh that he just did about, what, seven plagues and killed his firstborn, wouldn't the myth basically say the pharaoh is going to pretty much stop at the Red Sea being split? I mean, really, you see the power in front of you. are like, I'm not going into that Red Sea today. But our book says the guy goes into the Red Sea. How much more stupid could you get? Are you tracking with me? The same God who turns your river blood red, the same God who sent all these plagues, killed your firstborn, is now holding a Red Sea. And the first thing that comes to his mind is, let's go in there. 
That is not the story of myth. That is the story of reality and how stupid people are in their pride. Am I not telling the truth? And it's the same thing in the book of Revelation because people are like, oh, if I just see this happen or this, I'll believe. The Bible literally says, by the third and fourth seal, there has already been so much mass destruction upon the earth. Things are burning up. Stars are falling from the sky. And once again, in myth, what do you think people would do in a, in a marvel comment? Oh, have mercy. Stop, stop. Whatever this creature is throwing stuff down on us, stop. But the Bible says they literally run and hide and they say, we still don't want to serve you nor giving God the finger. They just run and hide and say, we don't want to serve you. The Bible is not written as myth. It is written as reality, and it is so true. It shows the pride of people's hearts. Why am I saying this? Because if you don't want to do this for Jesus, you won't do it because of a sign. You won't serve God because you saw the Red Sea parted or you see an asteroid fall from heaven. You will only serve God if he is your bridegroom and you are his bride. And then, come on. It doesn't matter what comes against you. You'll keep serving him. That's why in the book of Job, when Satan came to, uh, to God, he said, well, the only reason why Job serves you is because you do all of this for him. How many remember the story of Job, right? And why did Satan think that? Because that's the only reason why people serve him. So, so Satan's like, we're basically the same. People serve you because you give them stuff. People serve me because I give them stuff. That's, that's the way it is. And God's like, no, you can test him. And you can almost see through the story that it's really not about Job's friends. It's really about Satan and God the whole time, isn't it? And Job's friends are really just the mockers speaking the voice of the enemy. And you can almost see at the end in our words and how we would say it, God saying back to Satan, now who do you have like him? Even though he has been tortured and tormented, he still serves me. Satan, who do you have like that? And I feel like God still looks at the devil. Come on. As we go through things in this generation, and God looks like the devil and says, who do you have that serves you like the way my people serve me? They'll serve me in the midst of sickness and hardships and turmoil. They'll serve me even when they get persecuted for my name. Why? Because I'm a good bridegroom to them. They only serve you, devil, because of what they get out of you. But they serve me because of who I am. We're not using the bridegroom for the next thing. We're serving the bridegroom because he's worthy. What did John the Baptist say? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when John the Revelator wrote it in the book of Revelation after it had happened, he said, worthy is the Lamb. John the Baptist understood that whatever I give up for him, whatever I decrease for him, whatever I hold back and only receive from him, it is all worth it in the end because he's the only one that died on the cross for me, rose again. He's the only one that brings me to the true God, the living Father. He's the only one that has a room, a mansion for me. He's the only one that sticks closer than a brother. Nobody is like Jesus. 
because could you imagine what it was like? Come on, somebody. When John the Baptist finally got to heaven and the resurrected Lord got there with him and slapped him a high five and said, John, was it worth it? You can look at John up in heaven going, it was worth it. Everything I gave up for you, Jesus. Everything I decreased in. Oh, God, you made greater. You were worth it. If you believe it, can you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, somebody say he's worthy. He is worthy. You are worthy, Jesus. Abandon altar workers, would you come, please? You are worthy, Jesus. He must, he must, he must increase, and I must decrease. I can't go on just with what I have today of his presence. I've got to decrease so he can increase. Anybody here today need more of God in their family? He must. He must. Come on, say it to Jesus in your own words. Jesus, you must increase. i got to decrease in this marriage. God, you've got, to, you've got to increase on my job, and I've got to decrease. Oh, God, in Chicago, come on, somebody call out for this city. God, we, you must, you must, Jesus, increase, and we must decrease in Chicago. We must humble ourselves under your mighty hand, Jesus. He must, he must. Woo! He must increase. Would you just sing that phrase out? And I must decrease. If you haven't accepted Jesus into your heart, make that step right now by saying, Jesus, take over. Be the Lord of my life. Confess that he died. Barry rose again for you. Even as we're going to start worshiping, if you need prayer, come on up here. If you have to accept Christ today or rededicate, come on up. We'll love to pray for you. Or if you're here and there are things in your life you want to be set free from, you want to decrease from, we're here to pray for you. Even as some are coming, you can worship with us. Just a simple phrase, he must increase and I must decrease. Think of areas in your life right now, those who can hear me as we're worshiping. Where do you want to see God's presence increase? There's a battle of the will. Give God's will over. Give your will over to God's will. Give your ways over to His ways. Jesus, you must increase.